The Permian Basin is an abundant oil and gas producing area. Already one of the world's leading oil producing regions, the area in West Texas and Southeastern New Mexico could nearly double crude oil production by the year 2023. But who are the leaders behind this economic powerhouse? And what is their story? This is Permian Perspective. I'm your host, Krista Escamilla. Today's show is sponsored by Baker Hughes, who recently launched a new and reimagined Baker Hughes brand. As an energy technology company, they strive to make energy safer, cleaner, and more efficient for people in the planet. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Permian Perspective. It's such a pleasure to share this time with you. I'm sitting here in... Rig ID Workwear with one of my longtime friends, Jose Cuevas, who is the owner of Jumburrito. And I'm so excited that you're here today. Jose, first of all, I just want to say the best breakfast burrito in town. Thank you, Krista. I think, man, that's a wonderful intro. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, actually, beyond just this town, I think about it. Whenever I go somewhere, I always kind of compare and go, hmm, nope, not as good as Jumburrito burrito. <laughs> so that's what I do. And I'm always surprised when I go to San Antonio or other places that you would think you'd have a great breakfast burrito. I'm like, no, not quite a jump burrito. Oh, I know. It's just not quite there. But I'm so excited to hear your story. Thanks for sharing this time with us. We're going to get started in just a minute. But first, I want to remind everyone to please take a few minutes out of their day and leave us a review in iTunes. I cannot thank you all enough for doing this. We've received some wonderful reviews, and we appreciate each and every one of them. We also appreciate Apple for choosing Permian Perspective to be on their new and noteworthy list. So thank you so much. All right, Jose, let's... Uh, let's find out how this all began. And I heard a little rumor that it all started from a sale sign in the window of a small pharmacy that was going out of business and selling its restaurant equipment 40 years ago. Yes, 40 years ago. I was working at the Hilton Hotel and I went across the street to get some mints and it was Kirkland Pharmacy. And it's where the new convention center is today. Yes. And it says uh, restaurant equipment's for sale. So I asked Mr. Kirkland, how much you want for that? He said, 2,500 bucks. And that's as much as Diane and I, my wife, Diane and I had saved for a down payment on the new house. And I called her up, hey, I can buy this restaurant equipment and we can open a restaurant. She said, you always wanted a restaurant, go ahead. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I went ahead and jumped into it. You know, got a small loan from the bank for $5,000 and Jumbarita was born. And you opened? December 5th. December 5th. So we're upon the anniversary. 1979. Free burritos for everyone. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) So you opened your first store at the La Mesa location. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. And it was just a small 200, I mean, 600 square foot part of that big building Mm -hmm. because it used to be an old filling station. And there was a record shop next to me. And then there was a ice cream parlor. So as they closed up, I just took the entire building and bought the building. And, you know, that's where we started manufacturing tortillas until we got so big that we had to buy our own commissary to produce them. Wow. And now you have how many locations? You know, we have five locations and a new one coming back up there on South Midkiff. And, you know, we, we do between 8,600 to 10,000 tortillas every day. Wow. That is a lot of tortillas. Four, four million hot and mild sauces a year. Wow. And the, I have to tell you, the hot and mild, I love them both. I love them both so much. I have to get them both every time. And then I split my time between, I go green, then red, then green, then red. <laughs> They're so good. You're not the only one. <laughs> I'm sure. I am sure. Let's talk about that because I know you feed the oil and gas industry. I mean, really, you do. If you think about it, you're the one fueling 
the people that fuel the world. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. So you know, how, how, tell me a little bit about your journey. Well, you know, it, it started there in, in La Mesa Road in 1979. And, you know, I like to always tell people that Diane and I both worked at the Hilton Hotel. That's where we met. And I asked her out a thousand times and she said, no, no, no. And then finally one day she's sitting under a tree reading a book. And I said, do you need to ride? And she said, yeah. I said, she's been riding with me ever <laughs> since. You know, that's been about 42 years. And we say, what did a 22-year-old and a 20-year-old know about business? But we knew we wanted to make a great product. And I think it always starts just like your business out here. You know, you started with ingredients. You have an idea of what you want. You set your goals and then you go after them. You know, never in our, ma in our wildest dream do we ever think we'd wake up one day with a company that this. There's a, a lot of volume here, has over 175 employees. Wow. See, I was going to ask you that. How did, you know, when you did start it, did, did you see this as your vision or did this just grow over time just because of demand? Yeah, it just grew over time. What we really thought is that we made $26,000 a year, we'd be happy because that was Diane and I's combined income per year. So we were just substituting one for the other. Right. And, you know, within the second year, we were paying $26,000 in income tax. So we knew kind of like we had arrived. You know? <laughs> when you're and paying what you just hoped for. <laughs> yeah. And, and the lines would be real long and I would run out of tortillas and you know, I tell people well, it's going to be about 10 minutes because our people rolled them right there and we had a great cook, Tomasa Gonzalez. And they said, we'll wait, we'll wait. So, you know, I had to figure a way how to beat that volume. So I actually went around the neighborhood knocking on people's doors and say, who makes great tortillas? And they would point me to different ladies. And pretty soon I had five ladies making tortillas at their home. Wow. And every time about 1030, I'd swing by and get all the tortillas. So I'd have enough to go through the lunch rush. Oh and my then God. we just kept up. And pretty soon then you get a tortilla machine and you, you just start to look at how can I make this more efficient? Right. You but I think those were the fun days when I think of people making tortillas at their house. And that wasn't very healthy. I mean, <laughs> health department wouldn't have liked, liked it, but yeah. You know, it's okay it now. tortillas, you know. <laughs> Definitely homemade. Yes. What a great story. Because it really did. It started from the ground up. I mean, you said you didn't have the experience. You knew that you wanted to own a restaurant. What was year one like? Because I think year one is where you learn most of your lessons and, and really the business evolves over time. But what, what did you learn the most in year one? Yeah, I think in year one, you do learn a lot of things. And, you know, for one, Diane went to Midland College to learn how to keep books because we didn't know anything about accounting, but we knew that we needed to know what was coming in and what was going out. Smart. And then what we learned was, you know, the when you have volume, how do you get ahead of it? You can't just sit, sit there and say, oh, me, I can't keep up with it. You know, you have to keep looking forward. You know, you learn that you have to market really hard because not everyone knows who you are. And at first it's your cousins, your brothers, your sisters, and everyone are the first ones to be your customers. Right. But then you got to expand beyond that. <laughs> so I would get, you know, actual flower, flyers. And I told people that was really great. I put flyers all over the neighborhood and then I'd get a box of uh, burritos and take them to workshops, transmission shops or at oil companies, wherever people were at. I would take them there and give them to free, you know, because I needed to give them a taste of what right. we had. And we just continued it and we just continued it until, like I said, the volume got really, really heavy. Yeah, because once, once you get a taste of a drum burrito, you're hooked. <laughs> you're hooked. That would be my hope. <laughs> and there was no social media back then. Right, right, <laughs> You right. were the social media. You had to go face to face and get in front of those customers. And Diane and I were laughing because the first year my sister Carolyn worked for me, and it was part of her job program from school. 
And she was, you know, she's still very pretty and she was very gorgeous back then. I'd have her sweep in the park a lot. And <laughs> a lot of customers would go, why do you have Miss America out there sweeping the parking lot? I said, well, she wanted a job. <laughs> so, you know, why not? Why not? But so, well, we were laughing about that today. It was funny. We talked about it. That's funny. And th- and that brings up a point. It, it is a family, family owned restaurant. I know that you have had so many people work for you many years. I don't know the numbers exactly, but I know just from knowing you personally through time that you've had people work with you for 20 years, 30, you know. Yeah, and- we have Rosie Rice who's been with us 23 years. Wow. And then we probably have another 15 employees that have been with us more than 15 years. And then after that, we go to 10 years. And, you know, the number's actually quite big because we do a really good job of retention. And also at the end of the year, if there's money left over, we share it with them because we know that they only make X amount of dollars. So any bit that we can reward them with at the end of the year, this is really life-changing to them. It is. I love that. I was going to ask you, what is the key to retention? And, and you know, because I think that's something as a business owner we all strive for. What do you think has really been the key? You know, we do a lot of things. And I think you have to try different programs to see which ones work best for you. You know, we have always had a college tuition program where basically if you work 20 hours with us, we'll pay 100% of your tuition and 100% of your books. Wow. Well, you pay going in, but at the end of the semester, you just bring us your grades and a bill of your books and we give you 100% and they use that for the next year. And we've done that for a long time. And we also do a bonus program. When you start working for us, we give you X amount of dollars in 90 days, we give you a bonus. That's how we keep them for 90 days. Yes. Uh, rather than give them like an extra dollar or $2 up front, we figure we'll give it to them at the end of 90 days because I know I've got them. Right. Uh, we also have big employee gift programs every quarter. We have a massive jumbo buck day where we give jumbo bucks throughout the quarter for good performance, so on. And then we buy large TVs and washer and dryers and we buy a bunch of stuff that employees can go and bid for them. So wow. we just, I, th- I look back, I mean, we do a lot. And then we at one time, you know, had a differential pay for weekends because it was harder to get employees to come in the weekends. So we pay them $3 more an hour per hour. Mm-hmm. And then we moved that program to now every time you work a weekend, you get to put your name in a box. And at the end of the quarter, then we pick one and we will pay you your rent for that day or for, I mean, for that month. Wow. I love that idea. Yeah. It's that a lot a of ideas. Great, I, no, creative. that's awesome. I love that because, you know, as, as you know, we're still a small business and, mm-hmm. and we're always looking at ways to reward our team members because you know that you can't have a business without your great team members. Absolutely. And I love the creative ways that you have done that through the years. I think Thank that's you. awesome. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about the Permian. What is it? that you love so much about the Permian Basin? There's no doubt about it's people. I mean, the people have always been wonderful and they've always been accepting. You know, they're loyal and they're loyal to a fault, which is, you know, tremendous. Because I like people who are generous, who give because they've gotten more Mm -hmm. and they really believe that they need to share or help those that are less fortunate. And we try to do programs like West Texas Food Bank. You know, we try to... give them a big check in December, but other ways we try to help them. But I think the generosity and when the need is there, people stand up. And I think my customers, I, you know, you can't say enough about them. We love to see them every day. We, some people come and eat with us three times a week, some every day. So 
I used to be one of those that came every Friday, and then my waistline was showing, Jose. Oh, man, mine's still here. I was like, oh, this one's Jumburito right here, this roll right here. Oh, yeah, that's Jumburito, too. But you you do have a great loyalty program as well. You're, you're, oh, you give back to your customers as well. Absolutely. I know you have the loyalty card, and then we get free burritos for you know how often we, we Free eat burritos that. for anniversary, free burritos for birthdays. Also, every time you use it, you get certain points about the dollar amount. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon you could rack up those points and first it's like $10, 10% off. And then you, you know, you redeem them right. and you can get free burritos, tacos, whatever you want. We have one guy that has roughly about 16, 17, six, about $1,600 in rewards. Wow. And he says, you're going to pay for my retirement party when I have it. So I love I, it. So I'm ready. I mean, anybody that racks up <laughs> 1600 points or $1,600 worth. They I, deserve I, it. I, they right? deserve it, man. And more. <laughs> That's so wonderful. And I know you do feed, when I say you feed the oil and gas industry, you truly do. You have some companies that you've delivered to for years. And what is that like working with the oil and gas companies? I really enjoy it because, you know, as long as you deliver, they're happiest can be because Mm -hmm. a lot of people can't deliver on their promise. So we pride ourselves in delivering whatever you ordered. Mm -hmm. And like Pioneer, we'll place an order for 1,200 burritos at X amount of time. And we have to have it ready. And they have to have coffee. And we have to have that ready. We have other companies that do the same, you know, safety training, 800 burritos, 600 burritos. But it's about being consistent. It's about exceeding their expectations. Mm -hmm. And oil companies like that because they have enough on their plate. They don't need to be worrying about whether the burritos are going to get here for the safety meeting or burritos are going to get here for the meeting. So if I can make that seamless, Mm -hmm. then they really appreciate it. And your consistency is so wonderful. And I think I'm sure that's something you pride yourself on because I I really cannot ever say I've had a bad burrito there. I mean, really, it's so consistent. It's so good. And I have to say, the Kicks for Kenya event, I look forward to that every year because I get those little burritos (laughs) at the end because you do the mini burritos as well for big companies and and organizations. Absolutely. I don't know how many we made this year for them, but I know it's within 1,600 or something like that. That's so wonderful. Let's talk about the oil and gas industry because I know you've seen many ups and downs as a business owner for the past 40 years. I'm trying to think how many busts you've been through. (laughs) Well, I've been through the 81 when it was the beginning of a bust Uh and there was a lot of layoffs. And then in 86, where it was truly, truly the worst economy I've ever been to. In fact, coming close to losing my company and sitting at, you know, I had to, I had to go work an actual shift. And when I had lean come in and clean our bathrooms, I said, you know, we'll clean our own bathrooms because I can afford to pay you. And then with mats, instead of getting 10, I'd get five. And with aprons, instead of sending them to Snow White to get washed, I said, we'll do our own aprons. So I had to get that my cost down and get them down quickly to match my income that was coming in. And I, there was a lot of times I sat on that corner of my bed praying, you know, Lord, just give me enough money to pay my employees Friday. Mm. And there's wonderful stories around that because I would, I was young and I would share with what I've got, transmissions or other things that would come up. And in my darkest hour, I would receive a check and it says, Mr. Cuevas, I'm sorry it took me so long, but here's your $500. Wow. And I mean, it was just, just always enough to cover what I needed until I could work everything out. Until you could get those employees paid. And, and that's- Employ and reduce my costs, get everything where we could survive. 
And I mean, it's a little money, but yeah, when but, I think about no. it, but it's 500 enough. Like you say, it's a small company. So 500 is a lot of money. Right. Because back then in that first that first downturn that you were going through as a business owner, you just wanted to survive and pay your people. That's right. And, and that's it. And, mm-hmm. and then look what happened after that. How yeah. did you get through those times? What was it that I can tell your faith is strong? You know, what what is it that got you through those difficult times? Well, you definitely have to believe in the Lord and His hand on your life. And also, I think the first thing to do, in my opinion, is when things are good, we tend to get a lot of toys. And when things start going south, some individuals have a very hard time letting go of those toys. Where I didn't have very many toys, and I had debt, so my reality was, you know, trying just to reduce my debt so I could meet my income. But I watched a lot of friends just couldn't get rid of those toys. And I always tell people, if you start seeing it coming, you better start selling it now because in five months or a year or two years, there's going to be 100,000 of those up for sale. And the value has just gone to zero. Nobody's going to want to buy them then. No one's going to want to buy it. If they want to buy it, they'll buy it dirt cheap. Yeah. (laughs) And I think those are the key. I mean, you have to look forward to and you have to really plan. You know, I'm making this much. But if I believe the economy is going down 20%, then I better be adjusting now to 20% reduction in mm. where my future is until we can get a better foot in and really see where the economy is going. You know, we now start hearing about companies laying off, and we see it at the restaurant. We see it in Odessa more so than we do in Midland. But we right know now. it's coming. Right now. Right now. Right now. And we know it's coming. I talk to a lot of oil people, and they tell me, this is a real one. This is a this is truly a downturn. Mm-hmm. So I'm already preparing. <laughs> right. You're like, I've been through this before. Yeah. I got this. <laughs> and, you know, fortunately, now we're debt-free as a company and personally debt-free. Nice. Or we weren't that in 86. <laughs> so, right. you know, I think that's another thing is live within your means. And I, you know, that's something I think everyone should take heed of is because don't keep up with the Joneses, the Smiths, or whoever. Mm-hmm. Live your own life. And sometimes I know we would go, we're, you know, we'd say, why does that guy have a bigger house or have a second house? And Mm -hmm. I would say would because we're investing our money today Mm -hmm. and we'll have it when we get old. But right now is not the time to be buying the toys and everything else second home. Right. It was more about your family more than the toys. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some people can afford it. And I, I'm not talking about, right. I'm just talking about generally, the, right. you know, when you're a small company yes. and, you know, that you have to look at what you've got and decide what value you put on it. What are the differences you see now in this downturn, maybe compared to some of the other ones through the years, business-wise? Well, you know, one thing is we have a larger population, so we still have a good uh, customer base. You know, I think that a lot of things seem similar to me because it, there's a lot of building going on, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, it's a slowdown. So one is renters are going to get better rents, mm-hmm. and everything else you do comes down. If you're building a house or you're building this, those will come down because the rates just got crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, We started paying people a lot more than I thought we should, and I see now where some of the major companies here are dropping their wage by $2. You know, yeah, we paid you fifteen dollars now, but now we're going to start you twelve fifty, right. or instead of twelve fifty, now we're going to pay you ten fifty. So we already see that, and so those are very similar of what happened in eighty six, and I think that you know there's going to be great opportunities for people that you know are are consistent and they don't get too much debt. There's going to be opportunities to buy things at fairly re- reasonable prices. 
it's more quieter right now of people being laid off, mm -hmm. but we know they're being laid off because we're first the first barometer in a community. Mm -hmm. When people start eating out less and you're asking, how come you haven't come in? Why well, I lost all my overtime mm -hmm. or my wife's not working anymore. So the restaurant industry is the first to see it happen. That's interesting to hear because you you would think that the oil and gas buzz, you know, within oil and gas companies would 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 be the first to know, but really it's the restaurants. Yeah, yeah, it's the restaurants because people are being laid off, and we already know. You know, I have had a conversation with a friend of mine about last week, and she was saying, "Man, I got some bad news last week," and I said, "What was that?" She said, "My husband has worked for a multi-billion-dollar company for you know fourteen years." And they called them all in one day and said, Friday's the last day of work. And those that have been with us more than 10 years will get a severance. And the other ones, thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. Wow. That quick. And she said they just decided they weren't, didn't want to be in the permanent basin anymore. Wow. And so those are a lot of stories that are happening out there that we're not seeing it yet. Right. I know you're really plugged in, not just here, but also on the state level. You served for the TABC for several years. What has that experience been like for you to be on that, not just the local level, but really expanding across the, the nation? Well, you know, it's always, I love the TABC because we, they were stuck in the 20th century. So I knew I had to push them to get to the 21st century. And then also policing and enforcement has really changed. Mm -hmm. There's no reason we need to be thugs or be, uh, you know, Nazis or whatever they used to call the TABC officers, you know, and you need to use your resources correctly. I don't need to spend a lot of time in restaurants that are, or bars or convenience stores that don't have violations or have very little violations. Right. I need to put my assets where we have a lot of violations, where drug sales are going on, prostitution is going on, and a lot of illegal stuff is going on. So that's how we started to change the focus of the TABC. And we also changed in how we enforce. You know, we better be treating everyone with respect mm -hmm. and we better be consistent about it. You know, I started in 2004 when Governor Perry appointed me and then I served 13 years and eight of those as chairman. And there's nothing like when they call you chairman and it's only a three-member board. <laughs> That's really nice. I mean, they treat you really, really well. I bet. Well, I was going to say, there's probably nothing like getting that call from the governor either. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There, there's nothing like getting that from the governor. And Rick Perry was always very generous to me. I also served, he had appointed me to the Texas Mutual Insurance Company, Tim, and uh, I served with them for... God, about six years until I got the call that says the governor wants you over to ABC. I said, okay, I'll go if I'll go. that's where he wants me to go. <laughs> but you meet a lot of wonderful people because you travel through Texas and you meet your staff that are at the border. You meet staff. You know, we at uh, ports where people get off of ships and, and all the enforcement people we see. And there's a lot of good people inside the organization that really has t taken us to the future. We needed to be on the computer, technology, mm -hmm. be able to renew things online. They don't have to go through this whole process. And, you know, if you own one, five bars, you would have to get five different permits. Now you can get a master permit and cover all those five. So we've tried, we've, we really made it consistent, efficient, and I think more friendly. What are you most proud of at that time that you served as the chairman? I think it's changed in the mindset of enforcement. I mean, they didn't like it. Right. You know, they thought we were really downgrading them or making less the, less than a peace officer. 
but there's no need to go out there and beat up people and spray mace in their eyes. Right. I'll give you an example. One guy's walking out of a bar. Well, it's, you know, what are those? Sports bar. You mm-hmm. know, food and this. And right. he's walking out. And yes, he's had a little bit of drink. And he's walking to a car. TABC officer's walking in. He says, hey, how you doing? And the guy says, fine. He says, hey, can I talk to you? And the guy says, no, I'm just getting in my taxi. So right away, the TABC officer gets him mm-hmm. and questions him. And then they arrest him for public intoxication. Mm-hmm. And we said, how's that right? right? He's doing the right thing. <laughs> he's getting in he's a taxi. He's getting in the taxi and he's going home. Right. And they said, well, he could have come back for his car. Or he could have been a danger for himself further down the road. That, you know, that's not that's not acceptable. Right. You know, so just making those changes, making those changes, even, you know, how we've always preached that have a designated driver. Mm-hmm. They were still arresting everyone, even though they had a designated driver. So we were sending mixed messages. Mm-hmm. If people have a designated driver and they're a little tipsy or whatever, you know, we already know that they've made good decisions. Mm-hmm. So I think that was my proudest is a really change in the culture there. Awesome. Let's talk a little bit about your some of your business tools that you've used through the years that have made you effective as a leader in your company. Well, I think a couple of things that we've every company has to have. I think that even as as small as they are, they have to have an org chart who reports to who. And the other side, they have to have an employee handbook that outlines everything that the company will provide them or anything anything they need to know. And one of the greatest things we did was we are not a bank, so don't ask us for money. <laughs> so when people would come ask us for money, we said, did you read your employee handbook? On this item, it says we don't lend money that banks do, but we provide you this and a vacation pay or whatever, everything you put want to spell out. And then job descriptions. What is the job description of that person? Have it written out so they know what your expectations are and you can hold them accountable because you can't hold someone accountable if they don't really know the rules of the facts or what you're wanting from them. I think those three major things really change a company. And you also have to look at a company as as a vehicle to create wealth. You're not creating a job just because you took one job and you're going to put it this job. Mm -hmm. You're going to look at it as how do I create wealth? What are the steps I need to do? And once you get to that point, then you have a truly understanding that, yeah, I can't always be the cheapest. I've got to be a little bit more because I give a little bit more service or I give a little bit more quality or I give a little bit more. Whatever the difference is, then that's what you start charging for. Mm-hmm. And once you decide that you own a business that provides income and better life for you, then you're a happier person. Right. Because if you have to go to that business every day from morning to close and it's just a grind, you're not very happy. Right. There's no motivation. No. So that's, I think, is when I finally dawned on me, what do I have here and what do I need to do? And once I said, an org chart, employee handbook, job descriptions, and what are my costs and how to make profit and and how to do, why, how am I different than other companies? I love that. Those are great tools. I think they're... Oh, fantastic. (laughs) I'm just sitting, my wheels are turning. I'm like, oh, we need to implement that. Okay, we love that. Let's talk about your most important lesson learned, because I'm sure you've learned so many lessons through the years. Do you have one that just stands out that you go, oh yeah, that one made a huge difference? Well, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in life that make a big difference. But I think one of the biggest ones, and I know it goes back really far, besides in sixth grade in Kingsville, Texas, 
And I had an Anglo teacher who was trying to pronounce my name, Jose Cuevas, blah, blah, blah. And she'd say, why can't you Mexicans have regular American names? And I felt this small. The whole room laughed, and I got this small. But I said, I'm going to be somebody, and I'm going to show her that I'm better. And that was my motivation. That was my motivation is that I'm going to be somebody and I'm going to prove her wrong, you know. And you have. And I have. <laughs> and then some. And then some. Well, and I remember you telling me a story years ago that you had to sit in a balcony, I believe it was, at a movie theater. I don't oh, know yeah. if you remember the story. That, <laughs> I didn't know I mean, the I'm difference. Going, I'm yeah. probably going 15 years <laughs> no, back here. Yeah, I didn't longer. know the difference. But yeah, when we went to the movies, I was going into the bottom lobby. And the guy says, no, you can't sit there. You have to go over there. And I said... And I was only, I was small, like five or six years old. And he says, yeah, Mexicans and black people sit upstairs. I said, oh, balcony. So, but they were different times, you know, and fortunately the world has changed and it's more acceptable and, you know, it's, it's wonderful. (laughs) I have no complaints, but you have to go through those struggles. And that's why it makes me kind of unhappy to see that the hate is starting to rise again. You know, because it's not right. You know, we're all Americans. And that's what makes us unique and different. You know, I like watching the Olympics when we're all colors. Yes. You know, rather than one certain type of individual like Japan or South Korea or whatever. Anyways, that's what I like about us is we're so different. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about some things that personally feed you. Do you have favorite books or podcasts? I know you said you're just starting to get into the podcast world. So maybe some (laughs) some books that have really been instrumental in your life. You know, I'm a big reader in autobiographies. And one I like is Ray Kroc, Behind the Golden Arches. (laughs) You know, just read it and read it and read it page to page. And, you know, he had such a personality that so much loved his brand and refused to let anyone bring it down. And, you know, those stories you know, that's what we need to be is because we are the brand keeper. Mm-hmm. And I tell people, you know, I've got to take care of it and I've got to make sure my cust- my employees know how to keep it. You know, he hated people to put up, tape up posters on his windows. Mm-hmm. That was just not something to do. Mm-hmm. So he ran in there and, you know, got after the franchisee and just, you know, cussed him out one way or another. <laughs> he says, then they was dri- he was driving off and then he said, now he stopped, went back, he took a brick and threw it through the window. <laughs> He says, that guy will never put a poster up again. (laughs) I said, wow. I mean, you don't have to be that extreme, but it sent a message. Right. That's how much he loved his brand. That's how much he loved his brand and how much he wanted to make sure everyone understood it. Because he wanted to put his customers to be happy and have consistency. I'm going to have to read uh, that. That's a yeah, good it's one. A, there's a lot of good books. I even read, you know, McDonald founder Tom Monahan, you know, how his story goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the ones I like is where he they're taking all of his stuff because, you know, he has close to filing bankruptcy. So the banks are taking stuff. And he says, there's this guy out in the lobby and he's been sitting there for three or four hours. And finally, I come up and I say, yeah, how can I help? He says, well, I came here to buy a franchise. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you see what's happening here? (laughs) But anyways, he sold the franchise. And the guy became a really good franchisee. (laughs) But just the picture in my mind of they're taking pictures off your wall and taking your computers and stuff. And he just sits there for two hours. I'm here to buy a franchise. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. What about a quote? Do you have a favorite quote that has has really got? I always through? do see it, believe it, achieve it. Love it. That's what I do. I love it. And you that because you've done. I mean you have to do that. You have to believe 
and you have to see it, and then you just go out and achieve it. I love it. And you have to play, you know, you have to have a road to get there because you can't just see it, believe it, and achieve it without having a plan. Right. Got to have so some action. Have go some into action. action. <laughs> yeah. You have action, a plan. What about, what are you looking forward to next in life? Like what is, I know you are such an amazing family man. Thank and you. I just love your wife, Diane, to pieces. And I know she's an amazing grandma. She is. And you have those beautiful grandchildren. We what do. Are you, what are you looking forward to next? You know, I think we continue a growth, but I, you know, it, that's not what drives us anymore. Now what drives us is we enjoy our family and we enjoy employees. So Diane and I travel quite a lot to see our grandkids in San Antonio and Edmond. And we also take a lot of concerts and we like to say that, you know, now we get the front row rather than back row. You know, <laughs> since we were young, we could never afford the front row. So, and we, you know, we go to festivals. We One of our big ones we like is the Merle Fest in North Carolina, Wilkesboro. And you see so much talent. They have 12 stages and 42 different type of band members. And just because it's bluegrass, I mean, it's all bluegrass. They have some really good talent come by there. You know, James Taylor was there and Zach Brown has come through there, Wayana Judd and, you know, Avid Brothers and, you know, Keb Moe. I love Keb Moe. So anyways, <laughs> that's what we do a lot of. And we thought we might as well do it while we're young because there's too many. You never know what your health is in the future. And there's a lot of things we wanted to see and wanted to do. So we do take the time to do that. Mm -hmm. But we built that company so that we could do this. Right. Well, now you get to actually enjoy, the, enjoy. all those years of hard work. Yeah. yeah. The work that has gone into Jumburito, I know, has truly been... You know, just amazing what you've done with your companies and see, you know, to see it grow through the years. Yeah, it's been a labor of love. And I think that you get to a point where you really look back and you see what a difference you've made in not only the community, but in people's lives. And the journey has not been without pitfalls. I've made a lot of mistakes and probably lost several million dollars because things didn't work out. But I mean, the, you don't stay there. You just right. get up and move again. You can't, you can't feel sorry for yourself. And I think that's the biggest thing is waking up every day and facing the day. Absolutely. Do you want to share any of those stories? Uh, like your biggest, maybe the one that just that you really felt like, oh gosh, how, how are we going to get up from this one? But then you did. <laughs> Well, you know, I've always got out of everything. I think 86 was most difficult. I yeah. really do. I, I think nothing has come close to that because I owned a lot of real estate. Yeah. And I told people, it's kind of funny because interest rates went from 18% down to 9% over a period of time. And everyone says, 18%. I said, yeah, that's, that was the going rate back right. in the 80s. But I, remember, I tell everybody, I, you know, I sat at a desk and I wrote, a pan written letter to all the banks and saying, look, I'm sorry, but I can't afford to pay you this type of interest. I don't want you to forgive my loan. I just wanted you to lower my interest rates to 9% and I will pay you. And every bank worked with me except for one, but it was more of a difference. We want you to pay $500 for the attorney fees. And stuff. that was okay. So we worked on that way. And then uh, some real estate that I had on contract, I went back to the owner and say, look, I can't afford them here. I'm giving them back to you. So I think the biggest thing is always communicate with your lender or who you own because they're in the same situation. They want you to pay. They want you to be successful. 
Right. But you can't run from them. I mean, they're going to find you sooner or later. So as soon as you man up or woman up and yeah. you say, yeah, I, this, you know, I just can't afford it. This is my income today. It was that much last year or whatever. Mm-hmm. You would be surprised how banks will work with you if you're upfront with them right away. I love that honesty. You have yeah. to, you, you do, you have to be honest with them right up front yeah. in that communication. It creates trust. Yeah. You know, it creates trust. That's some good advice right there. You know, we're <laughs> building that advice. new building over here on South Midkiff. And, you know, I was going to, it's an expensive build to put it that way. <laughs> but anyways, I was going to borrow from the bank just $1.5 million. Just, you know, we we're going to pay cash up front. But then I decided, why pay cash? Let's go ahead and borrow some money. Mm-hmm. So yesterday I was talking to the, the banker and I said, yeah, let's go to a million. And he said, why a million? I said, well, I really don't want a lot of debt if the, if the economy goes south. <laughs> he said, okay, I understand it. Right. But you know, there again, you're talking and conveying to your yes. banker what you're thinking. Right. And I think that's what you always have to do. Absolutely. What do you want your legacy to be? You know, I don't think I've ever thought of it, but I think, you know, I want my legacy to be is that when people go back and read articles or my grandkids go back and say, who's grandpa? Well, you know, Grandpa sat on city council for nine years, so it was a large council member. You know, he was chairman of the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Committee. He served on uh, Rick Perry's campaign. You know, he went to the George Bush Economic Forum and he got to speak. You know, he knew all, you know, all these people. But at the same time, he was still a very in-his-skin person. And I think that's it in the main, main places, you know. Show them that you did a great job for community. Mm-hmm. You believe in, uh, you know, you believe in your savior and you believe in uh, family. And I think that's it. I mean, because yeah. I always tell people when you die, a lot of people don't remember you anymore in five years. <laughs> you know, So you have to leave it to your grandkids. I don't care how big and important you are. <laughs> At the end of the day, when you're dead, they're moving sure. on because life has to go on. But what a great legacy you have. And thank you for your service for all these years. I know you've served our community so well. And not just feeding us the best breakfast burrito in town and beyond, but you have served us and, and as a city councilman did such a great job. And thank you. And and a lot of, you know, a lot of people don't realize the time and hours that go into something like that and run a business and have a family. And and so it's a, it's a lot that you did for our great community here in West Texas. Well, thank you. I think that it, absolutely. If you want to be a good member or a good contributing person to any board, you have mm-hmm. to put in a lot of time. It just can't show up and vote. I mean, you have to put right. a lot of study behind to get to where you want to go and what are the issues that you feel so passionate about and how are you going to get there and who you need to get votes from and stuff like that. I mean, it's it was wonderful, you know, and I left on you know, when I wanted to leave (laughs) on my terms. (laughs) And that was kind of like, I talked to the mayor yesterday and Jerry's done such a wonderful job for the 12 years he served. He loves this community. He has a passion for it. And it was very disappointing. But I told Jerry, you know, in about a month, nobody's going to know you anyways. <laughs> I said, I'm just probably tired. I said, because I was on the council and I was a mover and a shaker and I was doing everything. I said, but by the end of a month, is no one's calling you. No newspaper wants an interview. No, no TV wants an interview. It's over with. So, yeah, it's just part of life. Right. And the next, the next chapter begins. The next chapter begins. <laughs> We're running out of time, and I wish we had more time. I've, I, I have, I've really enjoyed our conversation and just learning more about your story. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, I've got two more questions. Okay. First, first one I'll is a mentor. Has there been a mentor in your life that really has made a difference? You know, there has not. 
But I can say I had a lot of friends that are older than I was, so I learned a lot from them, mm-hmm. but not so much in, you know, a guy that takes you by the hand and tells you how to bank and shows you how to right. do this. You'd you know, learn it on your own. Those were self-learned. Yeah, those were self-learned. Uh-huh. And then finally, when I reached out to you and said, hey, will you be on my podcast? And you're coming in here and you thought, oh, I hope I get this out. You know, what's Krista going to ask me? Is there anything that I haven't asked you that maybe you would like to share with our listeners? You know, we have listeners all over the world, by the way. <laughs> is there anything you want to share to them, those, those people over there in France? And <laughs> No, I mean, life is good and pursue it with all the passion you have. And don't stay at a job you're not happy with. You have to be happy in everything you do because you don't want to wake up 45 years old with a mortgage, five kids and kids going to college and not happy. Great advice. Do what you want to do. I love it. Jose Cuevas, thank you so much for being with us today. I have loved, loved our conversation. If anybody would like to learn more, of course, they're on LinkedIn. They have a website. We have all of that in our show notes. But my best advice is go get a Jumburrito today if you haven't had one. Absolutely. What a day to have one when it's rainy and misty, man. You know, 40 degrees, 39. Yeah, this is time to have a Jumburrito. You're exactly right. That's when I'm I'm actually, I have a salad under my desk, but I'm thinking of kicking the salad to the side and getting a jump burrito. So thank you you so much. We really appreciate this time with us. It is now time to announce today's community MVP. And our community MVP is Basin PBS. For the first time in over 20 years, Basin PBS hosted live programming. They started with the mayoral debates and city council debates. As some of you know, we just had an election. And now they're providing a two-hour holiday concert featuring local West Texas talent live from the Anwar Family Studio at Basin PBS. There will be two special guests that night. They will include recording artist Leighton Fields and recently the voice contestant and local artist Matt New. And I'm excited to announce I will be hosting this event, which will take place on Thursday, December 19th from 7 to 9 p.m. So congratulations to my friends at Basin PBS for providing these local live productions and focusing on our great community. Well, this is it. That concludes our episode of Permian Perspective. Thank you so much for sharing your time and listening to the story behind the oil and gas leaders in the Permian Basin. A very special thanks again to owner of Jumburrito and founder Jose Cuevas and a special thanks to Baker Hughes for sponsoring our podcast. Remember my favorite things to say, dream big and believe in yourself and never give up. You make it a great day. Hey everyone, Alex here with the events on deck for November. First of all, we had our best turnout ever for our latest happy hour in Houston with our panel discussion. So thanks to everyone who attended and we hope to keep offering you guys value in the future. Be sure to listen here for any future happy hours. The events on deck for November include OGGN's second Denver happy hour on November 6th from 4 to 6 p.m. The cost of attendance is $20, a portion of which goes to local charities Safe House Denver and Oil Field Helping Hands. On November 12th at Minute Maid Stadium, IBM's Oil Field of Dreams, Data, Digitization, and Disruption. This event is free for all OGGN subscribers. OGGN's Mark LaCour will be doing a live podcast with ExxonMobil and his 2020 oil and gas predictions. On November 12th through 14th is Procurement Week in Sydney, Australia. Our travel partner, BCD Travel, will be sponsoring day two of Procurement Week in Sydney. Day two has content focused on the construction, mining, and energy sectors, as well as an indirect procurement leaders forum, which encompasses travel. Industry leaders will be discussing value-driven procurement approaches, evolving technologies, and the changing landscape. And drinks are on BCD at the end of the day. 
The Houston Chapter API Energy Petroleum Club will be meeting on November 12th in Houston. Speaker Shane McElroy will be talking about the sustainability of electric fracturing. We have another free event on deck this month for our subscribers. The Top Coder Innovation Summit will be taking place on November 14th in Houston, Texas. This event is the premier innovation event for industry leaders. You'll have the opportunity to attend panels on innovation and emerging technologies and meet with the YPRO and Topcoder executive teams. Lastly, the Algeria Oil and Gas Summit is happening on November 19th through 21st this year. ALNAFT will be sharing onshore and offshore updates for Africa's leading gas producer and opportunities for independent oil and gas companies. And don't forget, if you guys would like to receive these events each month via email, click Get Mark's Monthly Events email link in the show notes of any OGGN podcast. Hope you guys have a great month. Tune in next week for another episode of Permian Perspective, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at www.oggn.com.